Lord, thank you for the message we've already heard in our music. And, and Father, as we take some time now and we open up your word, we pray you'll speak to our hearts, God. And Lord, we know everybody here, every one of us needs to make some sort of decision that you have something that you want us to do. And God, give us the courage and strength to respond to that. And it's in your name that I pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's give Justin and the band a hand for a great job. Also, if you helped out at Bible school, if you think you helped out at Bible school, would you stand, please? Don't be humble. We had a great Bible school. It was a great week, and we thank so many of you for your help and your uh, and your making it happen. How many of you know who MC Hammer is? I think he shortened his name to Hammer, didn't he? Don't you love those pants? I mean, you're talking freedom in those pants, aren't you? That's why he could dance. How many of you remember the, the dance, the Hammer? Wayne was going to do it this morning, but his back was hurting him. My daughter, Alicia, who's sitting there, I'm going to embarrass her. That used to be her favorite dance as a kid. She would do the hammer. The, the, MC Hammer sang the song Hammer Time. Remember that? It was, it was actually 1990, but it kind of became a pop icon. I mean, it's a song that uh, a lot of people who are, were born way after 1990 know that song, popular song, and, and had a great beat to it. I'm not sure really what it meant, but, but it had a great beat to it. Well, this morning in Romans chapter 2... We're going to look at a scripture that I think is hammer time. Not MC hammer time, but more when your daddy or your coach said it's hammer time, meaning it's time that we get with it, that we straighten some things out, that we uh, make some adjustments. It's a tough scripture. We've locked the door, so it's too late. You can't get away. Not as bad as a hell or a tithing sermon, but there's some hammering issues in here. Romans is one of the great books in the New Testament. God wrote it through the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul had not been there yet, but he was hoping to go there. And he's writing about 30, 35 years after Christ's death and resurrection. And, he's, and, and one thing that's important to remember, he's writing to the church. Now, it was a message that was going to go beyond, way beyond the church, but it was to a church just like we have a church house full of people this morning that this message is for. And so I want, you to, I want you to dig in and really let God challenge you this morning through some of the things we see in this. I want to ask you a question and then make a couple of statements. And the first question is this, is your heart hard this morning? How is your heart today? Now, when I ask how is your heart, if they ask you that at Green Clinic and we ask you that at a church, normally it's two different concepts, okay? I'm not asking how's your ticker. As, as a pastor, and I care about your ticker, I do. Your ticker goes bad, I will come see you in the hospital. But in the Bible, when it talks about your heart, it's talking about your, your will. It's talking about your mind. It's talking about your inner person who makes choices and who makes decisions and I want to ask you this morning, what condition is your heart in today? In verse 5, you'll agree this is hammer time. Listen to how it begins. But because of your heart, Romans 2 verse 5, because of your, the stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, 
you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. He begins, he said, the stubbornness of your heart, the stiffness, the callousness of your will, of your, your teachability, uh, your openness, it's, it's, it's shut down, basically, what it's saying. He said, and you're unrepentant, your heart is unrepentant, and that means probably exactly what you think it means. It means an unwillingness to change, to admit that you're wrong, to say you're sorry, to to change your attitude and change your behavior. And he says to them, as he says to us, two things, I think, that apply to everyone in this room. One, if you're not a Christian today, and you continue with a hardened heart, someday when you stand before God Almighty, it's going to go really, really bad for you. But as a Christian this morning, I think he's saying this, that that we too, as people who have given our life to Christ, can go backwards in our walk with him. And our hearts can become hard and they can become calloused. And I want to tell you, young people, it doesn't matter if you're 20 or if you're 90. You can, you can have a hard heart. You can have an unteachable, unwilling spirit before God and before others. My grandmother, my mother's mother, and my second cousin, Christy's great-grandmother, who Christy is a member of our church here this morning, uh, when, when I was 10 years old, my grandmother was diagnosed with hardening of the arteries. Now, you don't hear that diagnosis much anymore. They use different terminology. But basically, back then, that was, uh, that was like a walking death sentence. It was, mean, it was meaning that, that she and her neck and her head was getting uh, plaque build up and that she was going to enter into dementia. And for about the last 10 years of her life, that I knew her and that she was alive, she didn't know anybody. I mean, she didn't even know her husband who she lived with. It was a terrible thing. And, and hardening of the arteries would, would not be, if they diagnosed that anymore, Will, you can tell me later, uh, or it would not be a good de- diagnosis at all to have put on you. But I want to tell you, having hardening of the spiritual heart is even a worse thing. Having a heart that's callous, that's unteachable, that's unopen. I want to ask you this morning, and no one can answer this question but you, and it's not going to do you any good to, to deceive yourself. How, how, how is your heart today? Back about 15 years ago in the church I was pastor, and we were having a, a special Sunday, and so we had, we had a lot of people there who normally don't come, and uh, the sanctuary was fan-shaped, so if you were sitting here or here, you had to, you, you were, the pews actually turned you towards the, the pulpit or where the fake pulpit, you know, the imaginary pulpit is or was there. And there was a person in church that morning that that was the only time in my, my years there he came to church. I don't think he went to church anywhere else, and he had a reputation around town as being honest, moral, upright, good, arrogant and anti-God. <laughs> and, and he was sitting over to my left in this section here where the natural curvature of the pews to look at the speaker uh, was like this. And I'm not making this up. For the 25 or 30 minutes I preached, he turned his body like this and he stood, st- stared at the wall. And I'm not the brightest bulb uh, in the ceiling, but I got what he was trying to say. 
Sad thing is, his kids got what he was trying to say. His spouse got what he was trying to say, and everybody who saw him. That, hey, I'm above this, man. I don't need anything you're selling or that you have to say. And I want to ask you this morning, what condition is your heart in today? Are you open? Are you teachable? Will you repent if God tells you and points out something in your life that needs to go? Will you do it? If you're not a Christian and God points that out to you today, or are you become awakened to that this morning? Will you repent and come to Christ? If you've been a Christian for many years and you know you're away from God, are you open to what he has to say? This morning as I drove to work, as I was praying, I was asking God some things about, about my life and about our church, and I was, I, God, give me your opinion. You know, your opinion matters. And I almost, I almost could swear God whispered in my ear, do you really want to hear what I have to say about that? And I think, it, fortunately, I pulled up the church and I said, we'll get back to that later. <laughs> Do you really want to hear what God has to say to you? Strange thing happened in Dublin, Ireland at Christ Cathedral Church in March. Beautiful Catholic church. And in this church, now if, you, if you've ever been to Europe or you've read much about it, a lot of the churches over there are actually museums and churches. Dead people are buried in the churches. Have any of you, have you maybe even seen that? Or it, it's it's kind of creepy. I mean, you walk into a church and and uh, you know, well, here's buried King so and so, and here's the Duke of such and such, and you know, here's the the famous preacher. I've asked to be buried near the drums over here someday, uh, and uh, I'll probably get put in one of the bathrooms. But in this particular church, they actually had the heart of the patron saint of Dublin. They had his heart. Now, he died in the 13th century, folks. Uh, it's about 600 years ago or so. But they had his heart preserved in a little box uh, encased and behind bars. And people came in and paid, I guess, paid homage to the, the, the heart of this saint. And it was stolen. Thieves broke into the church, this elaborate church with many valuable things, and the only thing they stole was the heart. And the, the caretaker said something very interesting. He said, uh, they could have gotten many things that were so valuable, and there's really no value on this, but the symbol, symbolic value. But it seems like the only thing they wanted was the heart of the saint. I want to tell you this morning, you don't need the heart of some dead saint. My bet is they got it thinking what it could do for them. And it may be precious, but it can't do anything for them with God. You know what needs to happen to your heart today and my heart? It needs to be softened. Some of us aren't Christians, and we need God to reach in today and put a new heart in us. But every Christian in this room this morning, from me on all the way to the back of the balcony, every Christian in here needs God to soften our heart. One thing you should pray every day is, God, peel the calluses off my mind and my heart. God, soften my mind and my heart. This morning, I want to ask you again how hard's your heart. Strange thing, you can be 25 and have a heart as hard as, as iron. And you can be 90 and be soft-hearted. It's not about your age. It's about your spirit and your attitude. How's your heart? And thinking about that, I want to give you another thing that's probably even worse than this first thing. 
about as God judges us someday. Have you ever thought about how God's going to judge you and me? Well, here's what he says in his word today. He says, God's going to judge us according to what we have done. God's going to judge us according to our deeds. Now, let's think about this for a minute. Honestly, 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 how do you evaluate yourself? I'm going to tell you how you evaluate yourself. You judge yourself like I judge myself, by my intentions, by my motives. I meant to do that. Well, I didn't give a lot of money last year to the church, but God knows my heart. I meant to. You you, you know where I'm coming from? We judge others harshly by what they do, don't we? But we judge ourselves by our intentions, by what we planned on doing, what our motives were. Here's what the Bible says. Now listen, this is really, really important. God judges us objectively by what we do in our life. Okay? Verses 6 through 11, strong verses. God will give each person according to what he intended to do. No, it says what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. In verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. Now, this is an interesting little verse. Leave that there, Kyle. Literally, what that means is it's that God doesn't look at the face, okay? Now, think about this. If you're judging people, if you were put in charge of judging Rustin, crimes and and settling disputes, the tendency of most people is we look at who we're judging, correctly? Oh, I like that person. That's Greg. He's not, I like him. Carla, that's his wife. She's kind of mean. I'm teasing Carla. But we look and we say, well, there's Wallace and Susan. They're multimillionaires, so I will, I will judge them easier. But there's Wayne and Stacy. They're just poor ministers. Who cares what I do to them? Well, that person's not the color I am, or I don't like their mom and daddy. What that's saying there is God doesn't look at who you are or who I am. You know, our justice system, I don't believe this prevails near enough. But Lady Justice, if you know, notice, you, everybody's seen that before. You see, she's blindfolded. You know why? That's trying to say justice is fair. And that it's not based on who your mom and dad is and how much money you have and how much influence you have and, and how you can pay off or benefit somebody that, that you will be given a fair trial. And here's what this passage is saying is God's going to give us all a fair trial, Okay? Now, it said here, God's going to judge us by what we have done, by our works. And some of you may be saying, well, listen, I thought Christianity, we were saved by faith, not by works. And that's absolutely true. It goes together. But if you're taking notes, write these verses down. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, it's by God's gracious mercy we are saved by faith. 
Not by words. We can't be good enough. We place our faith in Christ and he saves us. But then verse 10 comes in. It says we are saved to work. We are saved to do good works. In other words, yes, God is going to judge us by our, our deeds and our behaviors because our deeds and our behavior show really who we are. You see, some people say, I prayed a prayer. I got baptized. I joined the church. That makes me a Christian. Listen, what what makes you a Christian is if God really lives in you and it lives out of you. In James chapter 2, verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Jump ahead a few verses at verse 17. The same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Hold it there, Kyle. Here's what he's saying. He's saying... You say that you belong to Christ, that's proven by more than anything else by what you do than what you say. Your behavior, your actions are what prove you ultimately belong to God. And in verse 19 is a scary verse. You believe there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Did you get that? You see, no, we are not saved by good works. We are saved by faith in Christ. But real faith in Christ, real belief in Christ changes our lives. And someday when we stand before God, it says in Matthew 7, there are going to be a lot of people who say, Oh, Jesus, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons. We prophesied in your name. And he's going to say, Depart from me. I never knew you. You know why? Because their life was, it proved that God wasn't in there. I read a quote from a comedian this week, and here's what he said. He says, I have a lot of beliefs. I have a lot of things that I believe and I hold dear. I just don't practice any of them. Do you get that? I have a lot of beliefs. I just don't do any of them. That's what James is talking about. How is that going to help you or help that guy? It's not going to help that guy or it's not going to help you or me at all. Folks, there's an old saying, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I believe that. I believe there's people today in hell that, that said, you know, next Sunday I intend on giving my life to Christ. I believe that there's plenty of Christians sitting in churches this morning who are going to stand before God and going to have to give an account for what they didn't do, but what they intended to do. How many of you saw the, one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies? More than raised their hand, probably. I saw parts of two or three of them, funny movies. One of the movies, there's two pirates. They've escaped. They're in a longboat. They're trying to find Captain Jack Sparrow. And... They're, they're kind of lost at sea, and one of them is reading a Bible, except the only problem, he's reading it upside down. Do y'all remember this part? He's looking at the Bible upside down. And the other pirate says, what are you doing? You can't read. <laughs> it makes sense if you're holding the Bible upside down, wouldn't it? And the pirate said, well, I just thought God would give me credit for trying. I wonder how many of us are living out that mode today in our lives. Let me say it again today, if you're not a Christian or you're not sure, the biggest proof is what you do. God changes lives. For those of us who are believers, let me tell you this. 
God's not going to judge you on what you've done. Man, some of the weirdest conversations I've had with people is them telling me all they have done for Christ. And they ain't doing nothing for him today. How many of you are still alive? <laughs> Raise your hand or not. Do like this if there's any doubt. <laughs> you know what? As, as long as you're still alive, God's expecting you to be doing. And what God's going to judge you and me on someday, Christian, when we stand before him, is not what we intended to do, not what our heart was, not what our motives were, but what we did with him and for him and for others. Back in 1999, Bill Clinton was president, and there was, they had, we had a terrible scandal. If you remember, he got impeached by the House, and then it went to the, the Senate, and the Senate basically was going to vote whether to remove him from office or not. And the Senate voted not to remove him from office. And Howard Feynman, a, a Newsweek writer and a political writer, wrote something. He said, Bill Clinton, he said he was born lucky. And he has escaped again the judgment of the, uh, the United States politics. And then he wrote something that caught my attention. He said, but his real reckoning will be, and I thought, he's going to say with God. He didn't. He said, his, his real reckoning will be with history. Folks, I, I, I want to, and I'm not kicking Bill Clinton. I, I'm talking to all of us. Bill Clinton and your, your real reckoning and my real reckoning is not going to be with history. It's going to be with God. And someday when God and Bill Clinton meet, or when, when you and, and I and, and meet with God, God's not going to ask if we're a Democrat or Republican. I'm convinced God is an independent. Now, that makes some of you mad, but he probably is. God's not going to ask who your mom and your dad are. He's not going to ask how much you knew. He's going to be very impartial. God's going to say, let's look at what you did with your life. Not how you criticized, complained, critiqued, suggested. What did you do is how God will judge you and me. And let me give you one last thought. Not only is God going to judge us according to what we have done, but for everyone in this room this morning, I can say this. God will judge us by a high standard. God's going to judge us by a high standard. Now, our next verses here are very interesting. Verses 12 through 16. All who sin apart from the law will perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required by the law, they are a law unto themselves, even though they don't have the law. Since they show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience bear witness and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. Verse 16, this will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Christ Jesus as my gospel declares. Now, here's, here's what God's saying here. And this is very, very profound. He was telling these Jewish people, he was saying, look, you've had the law. God's going to hold you accountable to, and judge you by the law. 
You're, you, you, what about those people who didn't have the law? He's saying, listen, God has revealed himself by nature. He says that in, in Romans 1. And even in man's heart, we have an innate ability to understand right from wrong. Now, how does that flesh out with us today? I believe every person ultimately is going to be judged by what they do with Jesus Christ. That's why we have to get the gospel throughout the world. But this is something very significant in this passage. It is saying people who have had little exposure to the things of God are going to be judged on a, on a lighter standard in many ways than those of us who have had much privilege. The Jews had a lot of privilege, which meant they were going to have a much higher penalty or standard of judgment. Here's a question we often ask. <clears throat> what about that person in Africa or in, the, in, in, in Egypt or somewhere who never hears the Bible? What about them? And listen, that's a, that's a question that needs to be talked about and discussed. But here's the most important question for you and me this morning. What about us who have been overexposed to the things of God? Let me tell you about us. God's going to hold us to a higher standard. You following me? Now, folks, we live in a day when we got Bibles coming out of our ears. You can go home today and you can, if you got cable, you can, you can listen and watch a church service all day long. You can get on the internet and, I mean, you would be slapped crazy mad by doing this. You could listen to a sermon 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can go to bookstores within 35 minutes of here, and you can, you can get tons of Christian books. You can get on the Internet and order tons of Christian books. We've got exposure, exposure, exposure. Here's the deal, though. Friend, God's not going to judge you and me on what we know. He's going to judge us by what we've done with what we know. And I want to tell you, the standard's going to be high for those of us in this room. Are y'all following me? Does it bother you a little bit? You see, I'm afraid we live in a day we're chasing knowledge. I want to know, no, 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 no. That's fine. The more you know, the higher the standard of judgment's going to be someday. I read an article about America this week that I agreed with, that America, God's had his hand on our country. He's blessed it. He, he, he's, he's done so much for us. But you know what else this article said? That means that we have got a higher responsibility to just like Israel did. You see, someday we'll stand before God and everyone in this room needs to know we have been so blessed and fortunate to be born and raised or we're in a land today where the opportunity to hear about God is, it, it's just an, a super abundance. But when you stand before God someday, he's not going to give you a multiple choice test. He's not going to be impressed with your knowledge. He's going he's to pull out the video and he's going to say, let's look at your life. What did you do for me and with me? I read, a, I, I read an article from a preacher in Illinois regularly who... Um, had a, had a good article this week. Talked about going to a coffee shop. And he, had fr he had a coffee and bagel with some friends of his that aren't Christians. And he's just trying to break the ice, develop the relationship with him. So he asked them, what can I pray for you about? 
And he said they both kind of sat there stunned. It wasn't something they had been asked before in their life. And again, we can't imagine that because that's part of our, our lives. And the lady said, well, I guess I would ask you to pray for my health because nothing is more important than my health, is it? And the preacher looked back at him and he said, well, honestly, yeah. He said, your relationship with God's more important than your health. And her husband chimed in at that point, and he said, yeah, I guess you're right. He said, doesn't the Bible say someday that we're going to be kind of standing before a court with God as our judge? And the preacher said, yeah, it does say that. And the man kind of sat up and pushed his bagel aside, and he goes, you know, if that's true, that's probably the most important thing that I need prayer about. Friends, someday you and I will stand before God, even as Christians, if you're a Christian. The softness or the hardness of our heart is going to determine a lot of how that evaluation goes. How we lived our lives, what's he going to look at? And I promise you, the bar's high. That doesn't need to scare you. That just needs to motivate you to be who you need to be and to do what you need to do. Let's pray. If you're a Christian this morning, I would challenge you. What, what is it you need to do today? What is it God wants you to do this morning? If you're not a Christian, I want to invite you right where you're seated to pray with me. And, and just say, Jesus, I want to turn from my sins today. I believe you're the Son of God who died and arose for me. And Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart. Jesus, I ask you today to save me. Let me have your attention just for a moment. Just a moment, we're going to stand. And I want to challenge you today to respond to what God said to you. Soften your heart. Peel the calluses off. Maybe you just prayed and asked Christ in your heart or you're ready to do that. We'll have ministers down here. We want to help you with that decision. You come and give your life to Christ. Maybe you'd like to join the church. One way you can do that this morning is by stepping out and coming. There will be ministers down here. We can help you do that. Christian, maybe you want to come and pray at the altar or pray with a minister or where you're standing. You need to say to God, God, Make my heart the way it needs to be and help my life. Help me to live for you so when I do stand before you, it'll go well. Let's stand. And as God leads you right now, respond to him this morning.